solo and group clinicians alike are buzzing about Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals. With live customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and an extensive feature library, Therapy Notes is sure to streamline your workflow, giving you time to care more and worry less. Try them for two months free using promo code MODERN today. Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. It's time to reimagine therapy and what it means to be a therapist. We are human beings who can now present ourselves as whole people with authenticity, purpose, and connection, especially now when therapists must develop a personal brand to market their practices. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy, and today we have special guest Paul Gilmartin. Katie, we often are talking about building practices. We're talking about issues that therapists face, and I'm really excited to have Paul on. We are getting a perspective from the client's end of things of really what therapists are doing right, what therapists are doing wrong. Paul, welcome to our show. Uh, thanks for having me. I, this is the first time meeting you, Kurt. Katie was on my podcast, and we just really, really hit it off. So when she asked me to come do this, I was like, of course. Of course yeah, I had a great time on your podcast. I love what you're doing there. The Mental Illness Happy Hour is, it's amazing. It's something where you're so vulnerable, you're so open. How did you think to start doing that? How did that become one of the things that you were called to do? I went off my meds. And my depression fooled me, and I thought I really needed to kill myself. And then I realized after a couple of weeks that it was actually the depression. Mm. And I thought, my God, I believe in mental illness and depression and that they're real things. I go to therapy. I go to support groups. I see a psychiatrist. I take meds. And I was fooled by it. Mm. I thought somebody has to talk about this in a way that the average person can find accessible and compelling. And I thought, you know, having been a stand-up comedian and a TV host, I'm probably as good or better than the average person at communicating and telling stories. So maybe I'll have a lot of my crazy friends on and maybe people will find comfort in it. And the hope was to destigmatize and more than anything to let people know that they're not alone. You know, we're not the solution. We're the we're the cheerleaders for you guys. You guys are the football team. And I'm, I'm just out there every week saying, you know, here's somebody's story. Oh, look, they went to therapy. They go to a support group and now they don't want to kill themselves. That's so powerful. I love that. I think it's something that a lot of people don't necessarily get. There's this piece of me that feels like that mental health stigma is decreasing, but I, I hear stories like yours. I hear people talking about how they don't realize it helps out there. They don't feel like it's accessible. They feel like it's something that's wrong with them versus something that is mental illness or a challenge that can be overcome. And so to have someone who does have the skills and the background that you have to come in and say, hey, I've dealt with it. I've been there. And here's all my quote unquote crazy friends and therapy and these types of things have been helpful is such a great gift. Thank you. <laughs> oh, well, it, 
it, it's my pleasure. And, you know, I have to say it's not completely altruistic because there's the part of me that deeply, desperately wants to be seen and heard and felt and felt understood. Mm-hmm. I have my whole life. And so I feel like, like this is where the universe went, you know, if we can appeal to his ego, we could probably <laughs> get him to help us. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's a piece of it for Kurt and me too. <laughs> for those of our listeners who haven't listened to the Mental Illness Happy Hour, Paul, you're well over 300 episodes. I think been coming up on 400 episodes now. And not only is Paul vulnerable, but he gets people to reach a incredible level of vulnerability, not just the guests on his show, but also the people who log into his website or leave comments on his website to just share their stories and to really feel heard. It really does seemingly draw from your personal experience that you're trying to give that gift to other people as well. You know, one of the things I discovered in my support groups is a tone can be set in a conversation or a recurring conversation that people will use as an open door to walk through. And when somebody opens that door, it makes it safe for the next person to go, oh, okay, I can then unload this thing that I've been carrying around my entire life because that person just did it and nobody made fun of them or judged them. I've seen it happen so many times in support groups. And so I, that was something I consciously wanted to do in doing the podcast was for it to be more than an interview, for it to be more like a conversation, because I think to get somebody to open up, they want to know that you're on their team. And however it is that you can do that, I think as therapists, I could tell you having had different therapists, for me, it's the way they look at me when I'm speaking, because a lot of, you know, therapists don't typically share much of their lives with their, with their clients, Mm -hmm. but the manner in which they look at their clients says everything. I'm always looking into my therapist's eyes when I'm sharing something that's, I'm really insecure about to look for some type of, you know, expression of acceptance or rejection or whatever my brain's telling me. So I wanted the podcast to be that, but because I can share about my life as opposed to a therapist can't dump their whole life on their client. Yeah, we really shouldn't do that, huh? (laughs) I I thought that would be a way for me to kind of loosen things up for for my guests. And some of them are are my friends and we're able to open up right, right away, but... Yeah. And I know therapists sometimes do share little parts of their lives in their sessions. And I think for me, that that works. That Mm -hmm. helps humanize. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot to what you just said. The first piece that I was thinking about is that you're talking about a conversation. And I, I think that you've actually gone beyond conversation to community. And, you know, and I think that's what you're describing with the support group is that really being able to have people come together and kind of push and pull each other through that door that opens and really support each other. It's so beautiful when that can come together. I know when I've run groups, that's been the most effective part is the support that each of the members put together. The vulnerability piece, Kurt and I talk about this all the time, you know, how much vulnerability is effective for therapists to put into the room. And I think you you nailed it. It's, you know, if there's little bits that really show the humanity, the show the connection, that's important, but we really can't dump <laughs> our lives under our clients because that really is putting our own stuff and kind of 
a weight on our clients that isn't what they've signed up for. Yeah. Yeah. I love that uh, analogy you did about pushing and pulling each other through the door because that's really what it is. You mm-hmm. know, when we roll into a support group, our first thoughts are, uh, yeah, it seems to be working for them, but it's not going to work for me because mm-hmm. I can't see how this could work because my track record of things working out for me is shit and <laughs> I don't trust people and the rules don't apply to me, and Mm -hmm. I can't fit through that door, and I don't believe there's a room on the other side of that door. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. why desperation is such a gift. You have a lot of experience yourself in seeking out therapy. You've done an amazing call to action with your listeners as far as finding out what has gone right and what's gone wrong in their therapy as well. What have you learned from your experience, and what are you hearing from your listeners as far as things that we as the professionals are really just kind of missing out on? Boy, that's a great question. There is a survey that a therapist friend of mine asked me to put up when she was finishing up her degree. She gave me a list of questions to create a survey, both for therapists to take and for clients to take. And obviously some questions only therapists would answer and some questions only clients would answer. And about, I want to say like 500 people have taken it so far. And some of the answers are fascinating. Here's some recurring themes that I see in in things that therapists do that upset clients is they give the client a sense that they're not really listening, that they're multitasking, doing something else, that they're concerned about time. And obviously you have to be aware of what time is, but I think it would help if for some reason you had to be on your computer when a client is talking, let them know, I'm making a note here, you know, I'm not checking my email. I've, I've heard some, some pretty atrocious things that people do. This one seems really obvious, but I've heard therapists minimize people's experience, which to me is also a way of minimizing their feelings. I've heard many instances of therapists that don't understand the damage of covert incest and and say, yeah, that's, you know, that's, you know, they just minimize it as if it's mm-hmm. as if it's not damaging. Um, a therapist downgrading somebody's sexual abuse, be it covert or overt, is one of the most traumatizing things that I've heard people fill out in the oh, wow. in the yeah. That's pretty awful. I think it's so important to meet people where they are and to understand what they've been through, where they're at, that kind of stuff. And to hear that therapists are minimizing or downgrading, as you said, is is really awful. They seem to get hung up on the verbiage of something, which to me is a way of downgrading it, correcting somebody. You know, you're trying to correct somebody's experience. Who cares if, if the word that they're using for it is maybe a little bit off. There is a time in the future maybe when you can bring that up, but it's the timing of if you want to reclassify something. But to me, it's like get into the feelings of what that person is dealing with instead of putting a rubber stamp on it and saying it goes on this shelf a little lower down than the one you think it goes on. Just talk about the piece of paper this person wants to file, you know? Hear them out on it. Therapy Notes not only combines billing, scheduling, and notes into one easy-to-use software, they now also offer group telehealth, up to 15 clients in a group session at a time. 
and secure messaging features. And with their 24-7 customer service, they're ready to assist you no matter where your practice takes you. Therapy Notes allows you to do it all. Whether you're a solo clinician or part of a group practice, you'll have all the tools for success at your fingertips with Therapy Notes. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. Really unfortunate, and for people who listen to our show know that I'm a huge fan of Dr. Scott Miller and some of the ways that he addresses in his research of what clinicians should do is getting kind of the scorecard from clients on a session by session basis that what he recognized very early on what I push in our professional work in talking with professionals is clients are really the ultimate judge of how we do as therapists. And to really be able to be vulnerable enough to receive that feedback from clients on a session by session basis, or even a regular basis of every two to three sessions really would allow and empower clients that Paul's talking about here to voice, hey, I don't like you being on your computer. Even if what you're doing seems relevant at the session, pay attention to me. Mm -hmm. For clients, this really increases satisfaction. For therapists, what this means is that you're not further damaging clients and you're not really turning clients away from your practice and really the profession in general. Yeah. You know, and it's funny, if you think about it, the reason a lot of people wind up in therapy is because they weren't given their parents undivided attention. And here they are going, trying to repair that wound and the person who's doing it is dividing their attention. I had to fire a therapist that that I had because she was, as much as I love dogs, she was just having her dog come in to the sessions. And sometimes she would have to talk to her dog, you know, you know, don't go lay over there. And it would kill the kind of the emotional flow of, of something. And you know, it's weird doing EMDR while somebody's dog is in the room. And the other thing she did was she would forget what it was that we had talked about. And then she would have to stop and like, go look at her notes. And I understand every therapist can't remember every detail, but she was just very forgetful. And I just, I started to get resentful and I'd had enough therapy from other therapists at that point to know that I'm entitled to not feel resentful continuously at my therapist. And so I let her go. I left her a voicemail and said, I know that this is really difficult because I'm a people pleaser, but I'm going to move on because I just feel like you're a little too scattered and I'm finding myself getting resentful. And I know that this is the healthy thing for me to do and that you will probably agree that that's how I feel. That's the healthy choice for me. Yeah. Because if she did disagree, then she's a terrible therapist and I should leave her anyway. Yeah. It's such a hard thing to do as a client though. I think when we choose a therapist, we start connecting and we've been so vulnerable with them that it can become, it can kind of become similar to the relationships we've had. And I thought that was so poignant that you said, you know, a lot of our clients are coming to us because they didn't get undivided attention from their parents. And now here, they're not getting undivided attention from their therapist. But I think it can duplicate those relationships and we can end up staying in them because it feels familiar. And it's so exciting that you were actually able to say, hey, this doesn't work for me and set that limit with that therapist. I think it's... That was a big moment of growth for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's so empowering to know as a client that you have have a choice. You don't have to stay in those relationships and and really ask for the treatment that you need. Well, you know, if I hadn't gone to a support group, I wouldn't have learned the tools to identify my boundaries, identify my feelings, advocate for my needs, 
and cut my relationship with my mom. Mm -hmm. Cutting my relationship with my mom has allowed me to look at every single relationship in my life completely differently and have different standards about it. It's amazing how one painful decision can kind of grease the wheel for so many other ones. That was a revelation for me. Yeah. And it really points to the need for therapists to be on their game because people are coming to us in crisis with pain. And if we're distracted, if we're multitasking, if we're doing things that are really not helpful, we can cause more harm than help. And I think for me, I, I yell from this, the rooftops, and I know you and I talked about this already, Paul, on, on your podcast, but when we aren't taking care of ourselves, we do a disservice to the people we're trying to help. It's not, it's not noble and self-sacrificing to take care of everybody else. It can actually really get in the way of what we're trying to do. And so to hear from your perspective how damaging that was that this person was so distracted and so focused on other versus on the work that was right in front of her. You know, that I think hopefully that's powerful and, and kind of wakes up some of the therapists who find themselves, you know, I think all of us occasionally get distracted and think about our groceries lists and that kind of stuff. But I think generally, you know, making sure that we're remembering and preparing and, and staying focused in the session is something that's just a basic standard, not something to strive for. Yeah. The majority of therapists I have had have been fantastic in regards to validating my experience and giving me their undivided attention and being compassionate. I believe the majority of therapists out there are good, good people, competent and, and have good hearts. You know, the woman that I had to let go because she was forgetful and, and kind of distracted, she was so validating around the stuff that had happened to me, the COVID mm -hmm. incest with my mom. And she said something that I carry with me today because as, as you guys know, as, as clinicians, victims or survivors always want to minimize what it was that happened to them. Mm -hmm. And I started to do that with the things that my mom had done to me. And she stopped me and she said, Paul, I've had clients who parents use them in S&M pornography when they were children. And they try to minimize mm -hmm. what happened to them and say, but somebody else had it. Yeah. She said yeah. it never ends. And that, that, was a, that was a huge thing. So I, you know, I say that to talk about how complex people can be. Even the best therapist can have a, a blind spot. I was at a workshop a couple of years ago and the presenter was asking about therapists' worst sessions. And he got to me and he goes, well, what's the worst session that you've had? And my first response was really just kind of like, well, since when? Like this week? Since <laughs> what, this month? Like ever? And I think that what you're speaking to is that I was about to say that I'll be the first to admit when I'm not the greatest at anything, but I think Katie would disagree that I'd probably be like the third. <laughs> But it is a continuous growth for us and that a lot of times what I'm, I'm pulling out of what Paul's talking about is a lot of times we strive to do our best, but it, even on our own paths as therapists that we continuously need to reflect back on what we're doing that not just in the feedback that we're getting from clients, but we need to continue to push ourselves to understand what we're doing, how we're coming across and there's unfortunately a lot of us who either stop doing that or don't think that we need to do that anymore. So Paul, what, what kind of feedback are you hearing in this survey that therapists are actually getting right that we might be surprised about? The biggest thing that I see is that they identify 
what it is that their client needs emotionally, either be it a modality, be it just listening, just validating, you know, empathy and compassion are the two things that I think you just can't have a good therapy session without. I think most people have rolled into therapy intellectually scouring their brain for what's going on and why they can't fix it. And to have a therapist who is brilliant intellectually, but cold emotionally Mm -hmm. is a self-defeating thing to me. I'm sure it's no news to you guys that there are some horrible talk therapy sessions being done by psychiatrists. Mm. (laughs) No surprise. (laughs) Yeah, some great ones, but a lot of really bad ones. And it's to me, it's because they are intellectualizing an emotional issue. And I can't overstate the importance of the look on the therapist's face. Are they alert? Do they feel, do they seem to be sympathetic? You could just see it in their eyes. You can, you can sense it. You guys know when you're talking yeah. to somebody and they're, they're with you. Just be yeah. there with them. Yeah. Just be there with them. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. It's so good to hear that our training is helping us to really identify what the emotional needs are in the room and that when we actually act on that and are present and focused, that that is really healing and helping because too often I think people, you know, whether it's psychiatrists or folks that are, you know, kind of beholden might be too strong a word, but beholden to a specific modality or treatment model, too often there's too much reliance on tactic and strategy and technique versus being present and connected in the room and the relationship. And Kurt and I talk about this all the time. The relationship is the most important piece, even based on the research, you know, being able to to have that relationship is so key. And it's validating that the people that you're asking, the people who are clients are saying, hey, that's that's what's most important to me too, is that these folks are empathic and engaged and identifying what I need emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. I think you guys probably understand this, but a lot of clients like me think, oh, they're just being nice to me because I'm paying them. They're Mm. just telling me that. I've heard that a lot. (laughs) Yes. Anything you can do to combat that, not necessarily actively, but you know, whenever my therapist goes five minutes over with me, that is a sign to me that she really does enjoy my company and she does really care about me. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that people should go five minutes over every session, but if you do the occasional session where you do go over, that means a lot. So much 
humanness is really what we're hearing out of this. And I brought up Scott Miller a little bit earlier and a couple of the things that you've talked about, Paul, that he has really researched and I've been screaming from my mountaintops is that really the time to be in practice of learning how to do the things that work with clients is not actually when you're sitting with clients, that you're going to be focused a lot more on the techniques that you're doing. You're going to be hyper-focused on that and not really what's going on in the room. Mm -hmm. And that does come across to clients that as much as it goes back to the very early stages of our grad training, that there is a time to practice and to have a good consultation group of being able to practice techniques with clients to get the feedback from people. That's where the practice of therapy comes. It's not when you're actually seeing clients, that's the doing of therapy. And that's Mm -hmm. where you're supposed to be responding as the emotional human being. The other thing I was thinking is recently Katie and I were at a conference where Aaron Beck, who's still amazingly kicking around, (laughs) you know, is very widely known for a, very directive, get to the behaviors that change your life. Even he was correcting that, hey, the field's kind of gotten this wrong, that the first thing that we need to do is is have that relationship. Mm -hmm. Yes. And for many people, it will be the first validation they've experienced in their life. And it Mm. sets a standard that, you know, I think so many people go into therapy thinking, I need to go because I can't figure out what's wrong with me. This person's going to tell me what's wrong with me. And it turns out there's nothing wrong with me. I've been wounded and my standards are low. The world around me has things that are wrong with it. And they're going to help me identify what's wrong with it. And anything I think that can help that person stop hating themselves, the sooner the better. Because then stuff can sink in faster. And anything that works against that, anything that makes that person feel minimized or not listened to, it just sets you back so far. Over and over, I keep thinking that the therapeutic relationship, it can be so critical in providing the the pieces of emotional healing. And each time there's a misstep, it can be a huge detriment it, because people come to therapy with the hope that someone can help them live a better life, to feel better, to find a reason to keep living. And if we're minimizing or we're not hearing somebody or not validating them in any way, that not only is a continuance of the experience they were having before, but it also is a real damage because here's somebody coming with hope. And then we're saying, yeah, not even therapy will work because here's somebody that doesn't, doesn't see me, doesn't see the hope for me. And I know for myself, the thing, and I tell my clients this all the time, but my goal and when you talked about looking in the eyes, this is what I was thinking. My goal is to, to look at them and see them as they can be, as the person who is kind of behind all the junk mm-hmm. <laughs> that has happened to them and continue to hold that and continue to interact with them as that person because that's, that's part of the relationship. That's part of how I help you to heal, you know, that kind of stuff. It's that piece of how do we move forward and, and find this person that's underneath that stuff. Yeah. And I think a lot of people lose that when they're trying to fix a problem. Yes. You know, it's, yeah. it's not allowing someone to become who they need to become. It's let's fix this problem. You, exactly. you have this behavior, let's fix it. Or, you know, this has happened, let's fix it. And, and I'm a fixer. I, I promise. I, I, I talk about those things, but, but I think this, this notion of being able to truly connect and, and interact with somebody with that, 
we call it in therapy, unconditional positive regard, but it's that kind of unconditional love that, yeah. that we hope that our parents would have provided to us and kind of trying to replace that and focus on that. It sounds like that truly is, is what you're saying is what people are, are really finding powerful in yeah, treatment. It, it, yeah. It's kind of the difference between looking down at somebody <clears throat> and saying, you know, here's what's wrong. Here's what you need to do. And walking up to them, putting your arm around them and saying, I see you. And we're mm-hmm. going to get to the bottom of this and we're going to go through this together and yeah. you're going to be okay because you can trust me. So Paul, what is next for you? Where, where are you going? What's your next call to action with the work that you're doing? Uh, I'm going to go to sleep in about 20 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> I got to take this. I'm going to go minute by minute for the next five years. So I hope you guys <laughs> add your coffee later this afternoon. Um, <laughs> That complete embrace of living in the moment. That's right. That's right. I'm so present, Kurt. I can't do anything else. <laughs> I love it. Yes. I, one of the things that I really want to do is write a book about mothers who are incestuous with their children, because that was my experience. Mm-hmm. And it was covert, but it really fucked me up. And I didn't even begin to get a sense of how damaged I was by it until I was in my 40s. And I just think as I began to share it on the podcast, people began to write into me and say, me too, me too, me too. Mm. And I thought, this is so much more widespread than people think it is. And just because it's not overt doesn't mean it's not damaging. And I know I'm telling you guys something you already know, but it's the reason why I want to do it because I feel like there's a need for it. It's one of the last areas of our society emotionally, sexually, mentally, that has really not had a light shown on it. And I think it could help people. And again, my ego, I want to, I want to be known. I want to be, I don't mean known famous. I mean, known validated. I want to feel, I want my, I can never have my, my experience validated too much. (laughs) That's a phrase you'll never hear me say, stop being so validating. (laughs) Stop seeing me. Well, I think to to validate your your goal, I love that you're you're setting that out there, that you're going to be writing this book. It seems like so much of what you're talking about related to this is needed. The light needs to be shown on it and there's not someone better to do it than you. Oh, I appreciate that so much. I appreciate that so much. I've got a, a quick question for folks on this survey thing. Is there a way that people can take the survey or, or see the results of the survey? Yes, they can, they can do both. They can go to our website, mentalpod.com, and then click on surveys. And then a bunch of surveys will pop up. There's about 12 different ones that you could either take or see the results of. Cool. And, and the only one that you can't see the results of right now is the shame and secrets survey because there are so many it's too popular katie <laughs> that's <laughs> too my much. problem Those oh are my, my goodness nowadays you're too popular oh I'm my too goodness validated. i'm too popular <laughs> um, so if you could start a kickstarter for me that would be awesome <laughs> yes yes um, no we'll we'll make sure to share the the link to your website and the instructions in the show notes but it sounds like you're doing some great work it's been so great to have you on and to talk with you about the research that you're doing your podcast and your own healing journey as well as this book that we're going to be seeing sometime in the future i just 
I just so value the work you're doing. Thank you so much. Right back at you. And Kurt, it's so nice to meet you and uh, just great talking to you guys. Thank you so much, Paul. And please join us on our website at www.mtsgpodcast.com. And for therapists who would love to come out to the Los Angeles area in October, we are putting on the Therapy Reimagined Conference. We're really kind of starting to build some ideas around what Paul's talking about and some of the other places where therapists are today and where we're going as a profession. It's a two-day event. It's 14 continuing education units, and we'd love to have you join us. But check us out on our social media as well. And for Katie Vernoy, Paul Gilmartin, and myself, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Thanks to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, use promo code MODERN for two free months. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions.